Good morning. My name is Roger. I'm the uh, youth pastor. Not youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for many years. I'm the discipleship pastor here at this church. And welcome to all that are watching us live on Facebook. And um, I want to start with a very important question, okay? And the question is this. What is your favorite food? I mean, the food that you just love to eat. You can't wait to have it. Now, we know that if we ask Pastor Tim that question, it's going to be what? Chips and salsa, okay, he said that a few weeks ago. For me, it's anything sweet, especially chocolate. However, I'm going to diet this week, but next week, if you want to bring me some, I will take it, all right? Now, on the spiritual, spiritual side of things, God tells us that um, there's something that he also wants us to have in abundance. Just like the food that you just can't wait to have, there's something that God says he wants you to have it richly, extremely, abundantly. Colossians 3.16 says this to us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So even as you think of your favorite food, how you long for it, can't wait to have it, God says, I want you to have that same appetite for my word and even greater. You know, the Bible says that it has great value for our lives. In Psalm 19.10 it says that the word, words of the Lord are sweeter than honey, and honey, or than honey from the honeycomb. And in Psalm 119.72, it says, The Lord, or the law from your mouth, is more precious to me than thousands of pieces. Listen to this. What metaphor? Of silver and gold. So this morning, I want to talk to you about this phrase. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. My hope is that by the time that we leave this morning, you will have memorized that verse. <laughs> the last three weeks, we have been studying sections from the book of Colossians. Last week, Pastor Sean, he talked about the city of Colossae. It was a city that located in what we knew back then as Asia Minor under the Roman Empire. And today's present-day Turkey, about 100 miles east of Ephesus, in a very beautiful area called the Lycus Valley. And while Paul was in prison for the first time, somewhere around A.D. 60 to 62 in Rome, he wrote four letters or epistles known as the prison epistles, Ephesians and Colossians and um, uh, of, of, of Philemon. And uh, he wrote these uh, from prison. And so if we were to summarize Colossians, and I invite you to read this, this book. Chapter 1 deals with the supremacy of Christ. And Pastor Fernando did a great job two weeks on that, and he spoke about that. Pastor Sean spoke last week about the hope and the purpose that we have in the Lord and uh, the prayers that we should uh, have for one another. He did a great job as well. Colossians 2 speaks about how Christ was crucified for our sins. What a beautiful truth, right? That Jesus Christ took your place and took my place on the cross. He also talks about different false teachings that we're entering into, that, into the church. Colossians 3 talks about a truth that we're going to look at briefly this morning about what it means to have resurrected Christ. And for some of us here this morning, some of the things I'm going to share might be the first time you've ever heard of this. And for others, you say, oh, I've heard that before. But we all need to apply the truths of this morning to our lives. And then chapter 4 ends with uh, just Paul asking the Colossian church to pray for him so he would have success in ministry. It's like when Pastor Fernando's here or I'm here and we ask the church to pray for us before we go on our mission trip. That's the same thing he's doing there. And then he ends kind of just sending his greetings to a lot of fellow workers, both Jews and Gentiles, that had helped him. 
So let's begin with Colossians 3, 15 through 17. I want to encourage you to do something. I know that we have the verses up here, and you also have it in your app, by the way. If you open your app right now, you can take notes and all that. But there's something about bringing the scriptures, uh, a highlighter, a pen, maybe a little notebook, where you can maybe something that we say uh, or a new insight that God gives you into the word of God, you can write it down, a highlight, the scripture verse. It's important. So I want to encourage you, just begin to bring the Bible. Bring a, a notebook and just take some notes as, as we read and, and study the word of God together. Colossians 3, 15 through 17 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this morning, I want to answer one question. The one question I want you to go with is this. Why should the word of Christ dwell richly in me? Why should the word of God permeate my heart, my behavior, my attitudes, why should I make it a priority in my life? And then at the end, just end with a few practical uh, notes. So let's just pray and give this time to the Lord. So Lord, this morning we ask that you help us apply your word. Understand it, apply it. I pray God that as we share the word of God this morning, it would fall on fertile soil. A, a heart that is willing to receive your word. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, respond to it, Lord. So we love you. Speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Paul tells the Colossians and all of us here this morning, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. The term dwell can be translated to be in, to live in, to reside in, or to dwell in. And the verb, if you remember anything from our Greek, our, our English or Greek uh, grammar, is an imperative. It's, it's a uh, do this. It's not an option. God says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's a command. It's not an option. And he says it should be in us richly. Another word for that would be abundantly, lavishly, extremely. It's the same word that's translated in Ephesians 2.4 when it says of God, who is rich in mercy. So when God shows you his grace and his mercy, he doesn't give you a little, a little bit. He gives it to you lavishly. God loves you completely. God's love for you is eternal. And so that's the same idea that God wants us to have. When someone comes over to your house and you tell, tell them to make themselves at home and be comfortable, we all do that, right? That does not mean that you want them to enter certain rooms in your house, right? And find the mess that's there. We don't want that. Well, Paul says that the word of Christ should, should invade every part of your life. Nothing should be off limits of the Lord. Your marriage, your goals, your career, even when you're suffering, your fears, we should submit it all to God. So God is commanding that the word of Christ, the scriptures have priority in our lives. It should make its home in our lives, be extremely evident in my life, be there abundantly. So I ask you this question, 
rhetorical. How often is this happening in our lives? Does the word of Christ dwell abundantly, lavishly, extremely in your word, in your life? In the context of chapter 3 of Colossians that we're going to look at in a moment, Paul has just exhorted the believers to continue to live under the lordship of Christ. He reminded them of the good news that their sins had been nailed to the cross and they were forgiven. There were a lot of false teachings in entering into the, the church. I can't deal with them this morning. We just don't have the time. Something called like Gnosticism or early form of something called Gnosticism. The worship of angels. Uh, legalism. Asceticism. There are a lot of different errors and doctrinal problems that they were going through. I can't get into that this morning. But Paul admonished them not to succumb to the false teachers by telling them, listen, don't submit to the laws or works performance as basis of your relationship with God. You see, the Christian life is not based on you trying to keep laws or list of do's and don'ts as the basis of your walk with Christ. Your relationship and fellowship with God are based on what God has accomplished for us through the Holy Spirit which lives in us. It's Christ in us from first to last. It is God's grace that is sufficient for you on your very best day. When you feel like you got it all together, you're hitting a home run in your Christian life. And God's grace is sufficient for you on the day that you even question, am I a Christian? God's grace. He's with us. He's with us. He says also to us in Colossians 1.10, and he talks to the Colossians, he says, it's all about Christ in whom you have been made complete. Did you know that? That you are complete. There, there's nothing else that we need in our Christian life. There's not a new book, a new experience. Am I missing something? No, God has given everything that we need in scripture. And as we pray and worship God, and live in unity with one another and serve the Lord, God's going to minister to us. We are complete in Christ. Just like the Colossians, we need to understand the implications of the gospel message. So why should the word dwell in us richly? Why should we know the scriptures, allow it to permeate our thinking, beliefs, and behavior? Well, in chapter 3 of Colossians, we're given four reasons now, each one of these reasons I'm going to give you this morning, based upon the idea that if it is true that the word of Christ should dwell in me abundantly, richly, lavishly, extremely, then how does that apply to what he's saying in Colossians 3? Every one of these points can be a standalone sermon. If we were doing a series on the book of Colossians, this might be three or four weeks just in this chapter alone. But we're doing it kind of three weeks <laughs> and only looking at a few. So... I'm not going to say everything I would like to say, but I would love to talk to you more about this passage afterwards. Why should the word dwell in us richly? Well, the first thing, very important for us, is this. The word reveals our new identity in Christ. The word of God is going to tell us who you are now in Christ. How does God see you? And if you could take something, my friends, my dear brothers, if you can take something this morning... 
it is this. How does God see you? Who, who does the great I am say that you are? We just sang about that, right? Well, what does he say? Chapter 3, 1 through 4. He says, since then. In other words, something has happened. And he just talked about it in chapter 2 towards the end. Since then, you have been what? If you had your Bibles, I would ask you, circle this word, raised. Since you have been raised with Christ, he says, set your hearts on things above. Set your emotions. Set your passions. Set your drives on the things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and he says, set your minds. That's your focus, your thinking on the things above, not on earthly things. For what? He says that you and I have what? We've died you said, what do you mean we've died? Well, let me elaborate a little bit more. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. In other words, you are secure in Christ. You are united to Christ. No one can separate you from the love of God, which is ours through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Because you are hidden in Christ. Your life is secure. It's eternal. It belongs to God for all eternity. I wish I got an amen for that one. Whoa. Hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So let me unpack this thing a little bit between points one and two. But let me first say that one of the recurrent frustrations in the life of believers is due to our ignorance about our identity with Christ. And this is what Paul is speaking about in this passage. But many of us don't understand what the Bible teaches on this topic. We feel like failures. We question our salvation. Sometimes we feel stuck in our Christian walk. We're not going forward. We're not going back. We're just blah. We're just there. And we don't understand the power of this message of your new identity in Jesus Christ. Many don't understand that a new spiritual reality has happened to them the moment they were born again by faith in Christ, by the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Colossians that they were, look at Colossians 2.12, that they were buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him. I would ask you to kind of underline that in your Bible. Two things have happened to you. You were buried in Christ or with Christ in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised them from the dead. If you have placed your faith in Christ and have been born spiritually, you are united to Christ in his death and his life. And as Galatians 2.20 says, we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. In God's eyes, you are holy. What do you mean I'm holy? Yeah, when I come to church. When I kneel down and pray, when I witness to somebody, no, even in the moments that you fail, even in the moments you sin, even in the moments that you fall to that temptation over and over again, God says, because you are united to my son, hidden in Christ, united to him in Christ, you're holy. You're blameless before the father because God doesn't see me. He sees Jesus, and through Jesus, he sees me. And if Jesus is holy, 
you are holy. And if Jesus is blameless, you are blameless. We are holy and blameless before the Father because of our union with Christ. And listen, and our victory is not ultimately about us and our performance, but about Christ who lived a life of holiness and perfection. That's called the active obedience of Jesus in theology. While Jesus lived here on earth, he lived to, to satisfy the demands of the law. He did it perfectly for you. And since you are in Christ, you have fulfilled the law as well. His life, his holiness, his perfection for us, which covers our failures and our shortcomings. In Christ, I am holy and totally accepted. But here's the question for you. <laughs> Do you believe this? That's, that's the situation there. That's the matter. Do you believe what Scripture teaches on this? But Paul is going to go on to tell us that our union with Christ also means that his grace works to change my heart and behavior now. See, the same grace that saves us is the same grace that's going to sanctify us. The same grace that is God's unmerited favor Working in me, showing me grace and, and, and forgiveness and mercy is the same grace that enables me now as I respond to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and submit to him as Lord over my life to change my life. So Paul now says in verse four, Christ is your life. Now, what in the world does that mean? Oh, does that mean that he's my passion? Does that mean that Christ is my all? Maybe. But someone wrote, and I quote here, Christ is our life. Listen, his joy becomes our joy. His love, our love. His peace becomes our peace. His strength becomes our strength. And I could also add, his holiness will become our holiness. His compassion for people will become your compassion for people. Your mercy his mercy for others will become your mercy for others because Jesus is our life. He is living his life through you and me. And it's a process. My friends, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Know your identity in Christ. Yet it is the very holiness of Christ as revealed in the scriptures that works patiently, Lovingly, but persistently in your character. See, God accepts you just like you are. Anyone is welcome in this church. I don't care what you believe or don't believe, what your moral stance is on any issue. Everyone is welcomed at Venture Church. God receives everyone. He loves us, but he loves us too much to keep us the way we came to him. He changes us. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. We're not the same people. God has done something. You died. You were buried. You, you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. It is the very holiness of Christ as revealed in the scripture that works patiently, lovingly, but persistently in our character. So that the word of God will reveal two things that touch now on our daily walk. Second point. The word reveals how we should respond to God 
in holy living. The very word of God that we study is going to teach us, this is what God desires of your life. This is who you are positionally as holy and blameless. But just as God is holy, so you are to be holy. This is who I am in Christ, holy. But now God is calling me to live a life that pleases him, that deals with sin in your life, that deals with the areas of weakness in your life, that you would come to understand that I don't have to live enslaved to sin because I am set free by Christ and God's spirit that works powerfully in my life. So let's read. He says, put to death. Now in the Greek, there's different tenses, just like in the English language. The idea here is to put to death like once and for all. The idea is like, take these things out to the range, put a target on, target on them and shoot them. It says, put to death. The idea is once and for all. Like, don't keep working on these things. Don't let this continue in your life. Just deal with it once and say, this is not honoring to God. God is not honored in my life when I do these things. In the name of Jesus, I can walk away from it. I am not alone. Jesus is in me. I've died to that. I am alive in Christ. His spirit's in me. And I don't have to succumb to this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Really, a better translation would be to your flesh. Sexual morality. Well, this is an all-inclusive word in the Greek. Sexual morality is the word pernia, from where we get pornography. It's not just pornography as we know it, but it, it, it deals with a lot of things. The truth is a lot of men and women are caught up in pornography, and they feel guilt for that. They don't know how to come out of that. It's a draw. Sometimes it becomes an addiction. So something has happened in the brain. New neural pathways have been set. And it's very easy, like in drugs or alcohol, for you just to fall it automatically. Something has happened up here. That's why God says, renew the mind. Change your thinking. And let me tell you that we're here to help you if you're caught up with pornography. We have leaders here. We have pastors here. We have counseling, professional counseling. We're here to help you. But he says, put to death sexual immorality. I'm not, I can't stop with each word here, but impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. All these are idolatry. Why? Because you are erecting an idol and those things. You're placing God to the side and you're worshiping these things. I.e., this is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God. Wrath means God's holy response to sin. It says, but because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now watch how beautiful. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. In other words, I'm not saying you can't be caught up in that, but that's not who you are. You walked that way when you were blind and didn't know the truth of the gospel, but now your eyes have been opened. Don't walk there anymore. That's who you used to be. Then he says in verse 8, but now you must also rid yourselves of all these things. Maybe you get angry a lot or, ha or you have fits of rage. You don't know how to control your anger. But he says, get rid of that. Malice. Hopefully there's not malice in us for people. We don't slander people. We don't put people down and speak ill of them. But he says, he's talking to Christians. This is something you and I, if we're not careful, we can fall into. 
He's not talking to unbelievers. He would never tell an unbeliever, put to death, stop walking the way you use it. No, he's talking to people born again. People who are now holy before God, but they're succumbing to the flesh. And he's saying, put to death these things. Get rid of these things. Anger and malice. Filthy language from your lips. Verse 9, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jews or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythians, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Talking about the unity that we have in Christ, racial reconciliation. We're all the same, all ethnicities. We're one in God. And there's a lot here. And you might say, you know what? It's hard for me to change some of these things in my life. So I don't want to deny that there's sometimes a, a time period for us to get mastery over some things, habits in our lives, but it must start with knowing our identity. In the words of Craig Groeschel, in his book, The Power to Change, he says, to change what you do, you need to first change what you think of you. Let me repeat that. To change what you do, what you practice, your habits, you need to first change something, and it's this. What do you think of you? What do you think of you? In the words of Paul, he says, you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, that is understanding of your new life in Christ, and it's in the image of its creator. There's a change that's happening in you, and you're becoming more like your father. Isn't that awesome? I'm becoming more like daddy. Man, let me tell you, my, both my daughters were born with their teeth separated, just like daddy. And every time they would smile, I see, I see daddy there. You're mine. There's no doubt you are mine. We love our kids when they do things that are nice about us, right? Not the bad things, but the nice things about us. Wow, if we can be like daddy, wouldn't that be awesome? And that's what he's talking about here. The old man refers to man as he is an Adam, dominated by sin. You've taken that. You're no longer in Adam. See, the whole world is, is, is comprised of two different groups of people. You are either in Adam or you're either in, in Christ. If you don't know Jesus and you're here today, and you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ and been born again, forgiven by God, adopted as a child of God, sealed by the Holy Spirit and promised eternal life, you are in Adam. You are, by necessity of your nature, dominated by sin, dominated by failures. But if you're in Christ, you're new. You're a new creation, born again to a new life in Jesus Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, this should be our thinking. I, no longer, I am no longer alive. I died in Christ. I have been resurrected to new life. That should be our thinking. I know I'm no longer alive. I died. I was buried in Christ. I have been resurrected to new life. Again, another question. Do you think like this about yourself? Is this what you think about who you are, your identity in Christ? Groeschel says one more thing I want to quote from his book. He says, the reason you haven't experienced lasting change, you know, we all get motivated. I'm going to a diet. 
I'm going to start uh, hanging out with my wife a little bit more, being nicer to her. I'm going to date my kids. I'm going to stop doing this. We get, we get motivated. I, the first day of the year, I had all these different goals. You know, we get motivated. We do all these things, right? The reason you haven't experienced lasting change is because you've tried to alter what you do and haven't changed what you think of you. Motivation will take you just so far. But if you change the underlying premise of why the change is happening, then change can become a reality in your life. As you allow the scriptures to teach you, you will come to understand your new identity in Christ and the freedom from the control of sin in your life by grace. The word reveals sin in our flesh, which we need to put to death. But thirdly, the word reveals new virtues for God's chosen people. He said, take off the old clothes. Take it off. But now he's going to say, put some new clothes on. You've been out the whole day, a little bit sweaty. Take a shower, right? Put on new clothes. This is what God says. Therefore, as God's... Look how beautiful what God says about you. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You are chosen by God. You are holy, set apart for Jesus. And God says he dearly loves you, totally loves you. He says, clothe yourselves with a few things. Compassion. Are you a compassionate person? Do you feel sympathy, empathy? Are you moved when there's a need and do something about it? Compassion. Are you kind or are you rude? Are you a kind person? The way you respond to people, the way you talk to people. Are you kind? Are you humble or are you kind of just, hey, I got this. Or are you humble? Are you gentle? Are you patient? These are practices. These are virtues that God says that he wants us to clothe ourselves with. And if any of you has a grieving, no, a little bit back, 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. Has somebody done something to you lately and you haven't forgiven them? Not until they come back to me, ask me to forgive them. Well, what does he say here? Bear with each other, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as. There's the measure. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You see, it's through the knowledge of God's word that as we grow in fellowship with God, we come to know how to please the Father. And this is what Paul prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 10. And we pray, we pray this in order that you may live, what does it say? A life what? Worthy of the Lord and may what? Please him in every way. Oh, Lord Jesus, as a response of my heart to you for what you've done, Lord, as I pray, I want to live a life that's worthy of you. I want to live it in my private life when no one's around. I want to live it with my, my spouse. I want to live it at home, in my work ethic, in my finances, in my decisions, in my leisure, in my play, in my friendships. Lord, show me how I can please you because you're, you're the greatest delight of my heart. You are the love of my heart. I want to follow you. I want to live a life that honors you 
and pleases you. That was the prayer of Paul. And then he adds, bearing fruit in every good work, growing, here it is, growing in the knowledge. The knowledge of God. And how to use the word of God in your life, the daily right. Now, reading the Bible is about developing a love relationship with God that turns into sweet fellowship with God over time. As you understand your identity in Christ and grow in fellowship with the Lord, you will see how vices are eliminated and Christian virtues flourish in your life. And this will happen more and more as the word of Christ dwells in you richly. About a year ago, we did a study of the book of Philippians. And I want to just encourage you, if maybe you want to know how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to study the Bible, if you go to our Venture app, it's there. It's called the Philippian Challenge. And there are basic steps about how to use principles or steps of Bible study to take you through the book of Philippians. And you can use that for the book of Colossians. You can use that for any book in the Bible. And it's there on the app. It's going to stay there for you, for your um, encouragement. I encourage you to dive into learning how to study the Bible. The fourth truth that comes from the passage, and we'll end with this, is that the word reveals how we should relate to each other and to God. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, we were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Basically, Paul tells us a few things here. He says the word of God is the basis for peace among us and our unity. He says that the word should be the basis of our interaction with each other and our praise to God. As we teach, that is instruct, and as we admonish or exhort one another with all wisdom, applying the word of God in our interactions with each other. Allow worship to lead us, the worship of God. As we help each other, as we teach each other, instruct each other, admonish, call the attention of one another to be firm in the faith, to be firm in a walk with Jesus Christ. Do it with wisdom. And then he says, finally, let the word of God reveal to us what honors the Lord. He says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. My friends, as we end today, Paul says in Colossians 3.16, let the word of the Lord, let the word of God, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you or in you richly. So let me ask you, do you dwell in the word? Does it dwell abundantly, lavishly, extremely in you? Is the word helping you understand your identity in Christ? The sins we need to put to death and the clothing of Christian virtues we need to put on? Do you go on to the word regularly to experience the peace of Christ in your life? Do you know how to study, not only read, but study the scriptures? Paul says that the Bible should dwell in us richly. Why? Because through the word, you will grow and become more like Christ and God will be glorified. God's spirit will use the inspired text to change your life 
your family, your children, and yes, East Naples, our community. We were told last week, encouraged by Pastor Sean, we got to turn off social media. We got to turn whatever is stealing, robbing from us that time that we can have with the Lord. Read it, reflect on it, obey it, and watch God do amazing things in your spiritual life. There was a survey done last year in April of last year where it it, it found that 26 million Americans stopped reading the Bible regularly during COVID-19. Part of that was because we didn't meet together anymore. Thankfully, now that we're coming together, we can read the Bible. We can study it. And maybe you're one of those who hasn't picked up the Bible in a long time or only read it occasionally. Wherever you are this morning in relationship to the Word of God, I want to ask you to take a new step this week. If you don't read the Bible regularly, I'm going to just ask you, get up five minutes earlier, ten minutes earlier, or maybe at night, a time for you to just start reading through the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Mark. Start there. If you don't read the Bible, start with something that's not going to be too complicated. If you do read the Bible regularly, I'm going to invite you to begin to study the Bible. Read through the Bible. Maybe use the book of Colossians. Read Colossians 10 times this week and then come back to me next week and tell me, and, and, and I'm going to ask you what happened. Just read through it. Perhaps you can memorize one or two verses this week. I don't know what your next step is. Maybe you don't read the Bible with your spouse or with your children. May I encourage you to do that? Maybe someone here has the gift of teaching. Maybe you say, you know what? I have a burden to teach. And maybe God's calling me to teach the children or the youth or the adults. And perhaps for you, you know a lot about the Bible. I know you know everything I just said this morning. Well, I'm going to encourage you to read a book about the Bible. Continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You can talk to any one of us pastors and we'll recommend some good reading for you. But there's one here that I want to recommend. It's called Read the Bible for Life, Your Guide to Understanding and Living God's Word by George Guthrie. And I have a copy of it today. If anybody wants to take a look at it. But it's going to help you understand how the Bible was put together. How the Old Testament is different from the New Testament. So forth and so on. So do we read the Bible as an end in itself? Is it just Bible knowledge that we're after? Is that what we're talking about? No. In the words of Christian leader James Merritt, listen to what he says. The primary purpose of reading the Bible is not to know the Bible, but to know God. We don't worship the Bible. The Bible is a means for us to understand God's revelation of who he is, his characters, his character, his attributes, his grace, his providence, his mercy, his justice. It's about us understanding our creator and finding our greatest fulfillment in knowing God, glorifying him and serving him. And we do this, my friends, with passion. That is our passion. That is our priority. And that is our prayer for each one of you this morning. So listen, this week, have your favorite pizza. If you like cereal milk, kids, have all you want, okay? Whatever you like, your steak, whatever it is, have it. But my friends, spend time with the word. Know the Word of God. Let the Word of God just dwell in you abundantly, extremely, lavishly, richly. Ask God, God, give me a heart for your Word. And this is what I know. Your life will be changed 
Christ will be more reflected in you and God will be glorified. Let us pray. So my invitation for you this morning is a simple prayer. You say it to the Lord the way you want, but maybe you would like to tell the Lord right now. Lord, let the word of Christ dwell in me richly. Lord Jesus, may your word, may the word of God dwell in me richly. Abundantly, extremely, lavishly, Lord. And so, God, we pray that you will bless every marriage, every home that's here, every father, every mother. And Lord, as we seek you in a world where we need so much of your wisdom, I pray, God, that we will spend time with you in prayer, individually with our spouses, praying over our children, being guided by your word. I pray, God, if there's some here that they do not know or have known until today their new identity in Christ that they would run with this truth from your word that they would know they've been set free and they can live a life that honors you God and so Lord wherever we are any of us I thank you for your revelation I thank you for your word and I pray that the word of Christ the word of the Lord the word of God will dwell in us richly we love you and we praise you to you be the glory in Jesus name we pray Amen. God bless you. Let us continue worshiping God. Please stand.